Welcome to the PE Podcast. Hello and welcome. My name is Mark Carter and this is the PE Podcast. I'm joined today by Sam Garud of Winton Primary School. Welcome, Sam. Hi there, Mark. Um, I've known Sam for three or four years in the context of helping Winton Primary School develop their PE. Um, Sam is a year six class teacher and PE coordinator. Um, Sam, do you want to tell us a bit more about your role and about your school? Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Mark. Um, So I've been a class teacher for five years now in my fifth year and um, PE is something I've always been passionate about and I made that very clear when I first came into education. Um, And becoming the PE leader um, was something that I was very passionate about and something I wanted to start away as soon as I could. Um, so when the role became available in my second year, I sort of jumped at the chance and I've been doing it ever since and have been loving it ever since. Great. Okay. Um, and for many people who won't know Winton Primary School, um, what's, it, what's it like here? Um, so we're based in King's Cross, um, inner city London, um, which brings its advantages and its disadvantages. Um, very multicultural area, um, absolutely brilliant place to work, um, hugely different intake of children. Yeah, a lot of languages, a lot of, uh, lot of interests. Okay, good. Um, so the particular reason why I wanted to talk to you today was I think you've done some really interesting and different work. Um, especially around assessment data and collecting data to evaluate um, how PE is going in your school, PE in school sport generally. Um, so that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, working with lots of schools, I find that lots of schools collect data, but often the, the sort of default setting is to get a sort of clipboard, watch children do some thrown and catching and tick some boxes next to each name, sort of to say, yeah, they can throw and catch, or they're above what you'd expect, they're about what you'd expect, and they're below what you might expect. Um, And then that piece of paper is usually filed somewhere and and never looked at again. And this is something that I find frustrating. Um, And you've taken a different approach. So do you want to explain a little bit about how you've done that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the problem with the system that you spoke about there, Mark, is the fact that it's only looking at sort of the outputs of the children, um, and that you know, middle leaders or head teachers or whoever it is who's maybe looking at the effectiveness of PE, um, first of all, that data is never actually used. It's never passed on to secondary schools. Um, but actually, it doesn't really give you an in- insight of how effectively are we delivering PE um, and are the children enjoying it. It doesn't give you any sort of metrics. Um, like you say, it's just a tick, tick box sheet um, that doesn't really help us think about, well, this is where PE is now, how can we improve it? Um, So what I did uh, at Winton was I actually gave us some metrics, some measurable targets um, that some of them, you know, take the impetus off the children and actually look at what we can do as providers um, to improve the quality of PE. Um, So for instance, the first one, um, a target I just, it sounds really simple, but I just put one in is to actually have one PE observation per term across the school. Um, and this was something I realised that, you know, in maths and English, it would happen, you know, one per term would be a ridiculously low amount uh, for a primary school. Um, but it wasn't, even, it wasn't happening at all in PE. Um, so I just set a metric of, well, we need to have 
one observation per term to you know check yeah. the provision of PE um, and across what it looks like across year groups. Um, so putting that metric in, putting it as a target, you know, it holds me to account as the subject leader, and it gives us formal feedback, just like it would um, for a lesson observation in maths or English. It gives us that formal feedback of, well, are the lessons going well? Is the teaching and learning high quality? Um, uh, so yeah, that was a really okay. interesting metric. So just to think about that metric then. So um, who carries out the observations? Um, it would usually be myself. Um, we have had a variety. We had the school improvement uh, partner come in and watch some PE, which is nice because they're somebody who doesn't spend a lot of time in the school, so it's nice to have a sort of fresh set of eyes. Um, head teacher as well, um, but also we've had some peer, you know, other coaches watching other coaches, so they can think about improving their own pedagogy, but also whilst helping um, others. Um, but yeah, it may, you know, I've sort of been involved okay. in all of them. How do you make sure there's a consistent approach to feedback and what you're watching is observed consistently? Yeah, well, one thing that we have put in um, is another measurable target actually was to make sure that the amount of active learning time in a lesson would at least be half. Now, what I mean by that active learning time is actually when I went to watch PE, I would maybe focus on one child, a um, bit of player cam, follow them around the sports hall and actually see how often are they doing PE, are they physically up and about, or how much time they actually sat down listening to the teacher, how much time they spent queuing up, um, and sort of taking a period of time of the lesson and following one child and actually seeing how much you know, activity are they actually mm. doing. Okay. Um, so so you know, what, why is that important for you? It's because it would be important in any other lesson. You know, if you were going to watch a maths lesson, you don't want to... Uh, sit there for an hour and watch the teacher talk about maths for an hour you want to see the children doing some maths and learning from their own mistakes and having choices to make um, and not and not watch them be led by the teacher mm. you know a lot of bad teaching is monkey see monkey do in that the teacher sort of shows you how to do it now you go away and do it and I think you know PE can be the same um, so it's giving the children the opportunity to have choices um, and just to be active to do it, you know, most children are kinetic learners, they learn by doing it, um, and to sort of claw, you know, claw back the boredom of sitting there in queues and sitting listening to the teacher when actually the children have probably got a good idea what they need mm. to do anyway. So your measurable target around that is that when you go and observe, you've got this minimum of one observation a term, and yeah. when you go and observe, one of the things you're going to look at, or you have been looking at, is uh, that children at physically active active learning for 50% you said half the lesson yeah. and how's it been going have you managed to have you just looking at those two targets have you managed to do one observation a term and have you managed to see that this 50% is being being hit yes so for the two years that I've been running this metric um, we did manage to do three observations you know in an academic year one per term um, and again it it, uh, it depended on what type of lesson we were watching, so I remember one lesson we were watching was um, sort of an orienteering-based lesson, which was actually really interesting. And because as soon as the children had the instructions, they were off and away, and so it was you know over ninety percent active learning time. Um, whereas I've watched lessons which are much more focusing on techniques, um, which the teacher felt they needed more time getting across those teaching points, so their active learning time was lower. Of course, it varies with the content that you're teaching um, but there have been you know 
I have got percentages in front of me that, and I can talk about them, um, which I think is power to me as the subject leader, mm. but then also gives me something to talk with the coaches or the people who are providing the PE yeah. and make yeah. them think, well, you know, if you were a 10-year-old, how long would you want to sit on the floor yeah. and listen? And how long would you actually want to get out of your seat and, sure. and do it or show that you can do it? It was certainly very powerful for me on my teaching and coaching journey when I first got um, measured uh, you know, with the stopwatch and someone mm. sort of uh, feeding that back to me afterwards and sort of saying, well, actually, you know, in that 15-minute period of the lesson, you intervened with the, with the group five times and each each was like a minute and a half, two minutes long. So um, you're not really giving them enough time yeah. on reflection yeah, yeah. to actually have a go at doing it before you just intervene straight away and maybe try and solve the problems for them. So I think it can be powerful. How's thinking about that so you've got this data that you've watched you've watched the lesson you've got some data then to feed back how's that gone when you've actually then sat down with the providers of PE those delivering and given them that feedback well I think like you said for yourself it's an it's an eye-opening moment that actually when you're sat there with a stopwatch you know and you actually write down the times you know that to the to that coach you might have felt like they let them go for 10 minutes but actually it was two minutes and then they were back talking and um, so I think it's quite eye-opening and makes you think about the perspective of actually what how do the children receive your PE because even if you're doing some really high quality technique coaching that actually they need time to just have a go with it and have a play with it mm. and try it for themselves and try different mm. techniques and um, I think you know the coaches that I've spoken to really appreciate that and it's something that that when you give them a metric, a, a, a cold hard number, that it's just like you know, mm. let's try and increase that ten percent. Yeah, you know? sure. And they, the good thing about it is, uh, well, all the coaches that I've worked with have been in agreement that they want to improve it, they want to increase it, and that's an yeah. improvement. Yeah. No yeah. one said to me actually, you know, Sam, I want to bring this down because I want to yeah. increase my level of yeah. coaching. Everyone wants to improve that. Sure. So we've got a sort of agreed action there sort of all the time. Right. So um, th- that leads me on to really asking you about what's the role of the coach then? So I- when mm. you go in to watch a lesson, yeah. and for half the time the children are moving and being active, let's say, yeah. um, what does the coach do during that 50% of the lesson then? What, what, what would you see in terms of that high-quality PE bit that you're talking yeah. about? What would you expect or want your coach or teacher to be doing okay. or seeing or join yeah. that so, Yeah, for me, um, an important thing is about the children having choices to make. Um, and I think particularly for class teachers who are delivering PE, um, they can get drawn into the trap of thinking that good PE is calm and quiet and very chilled out and relaxed because that's what you'd expect to see in a classroom. You know, uh, a good um, learning environment would be quiet, children focused on the work. But actually for Pete it can be quite different. You, know, you want children making choices. Long queues of children waiting there is that can lead to behaviour problems and, hasn't, and isn't children making you know, accelerated learning. Um, so for me it's sort of thinking about well, can we think about the setup of this lesson? Are there some activities that the children can go into straight away? You know, you've learned this technique last week. Here, you know, here's your area in the carousel. Off you go into it. And carousel teaching is one way that we massively encourage it, that maybe the coach splits the class into different sections. Um, the children are given skills that they already know and they can get into them straight away, whereas the coach only has a smaller group and they can put their input in before moving the carousel around. 
Um, and yeah. that, that really, really helps increasing active learning time, but also means that the coach isn't bogged down in having the whole class stopped. Because actually, even when they're doing their input, everybody else is yeah. away and yeah. learning. So, um, so while well, let, let, coming back to that point where, where the children are active, whether they're mm. in a carousel or maybe, maybe you know, a whole group activity, um, the coach or the teacher wants to allow that to happen for all the reasons you've suggested. So at that point, you're suggesting that the, the role of the teacher or coach is to provide that choice, yeah. to provide that challenge, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's maybe comes into you know, what we'd call as teachers differentiation, that if uh, a child is finding this activity quite easy, well, maybe they've got the choice of to, well, instead of doing that activity with a football, I'm going to do it with a rugby ball. And the shape alone is going to challenge me. I'm going to find that much more difficult. Or maybe I'm going to make the ball much smaller. And that's all, all mm. of a sudden much harder to catch. Um, or if I'm really struggling with it as a child, then I'm going to be given a bigger ball. It's mm. softer and easier to catch mm. and is going to help me access the learning. Mm. Um, and those are the sort of the things. You'd look for that in a classroom that the teacher is thinking about how the children access the learning. So yeah. I want I want to see that in the PE lessons. I want to see the coaches thinking about that. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's sort of my role in educating the coaches or helping the coaches realise that you know this is what we this is what we're trained as teachers. There's yeah. a lot of benefit from that. Of of course, there's a massively different skill set, but there's so much to be gained from that approach in yeah. PE. It reminds me almost. I don't. I'm not an expert in Montessori education at all. But from what I've understood about it and, the, and there's times I've watched it the teacher's role is more of a guide suggesting ways to do things differently or new things to individuals or small groups yeah. so rather than conducting the class as a whole yeah. they would set the challenges and activities like you said maybe little stations or carousels for children to move around and then within that they would suggest like you said how about trying that with a rugby ball or have you tried doing it this way instead? Or watch what they're doing. Do you think you mm. can do it together? Or you're doing that on your own. Can you show someone else how to do it? And, yeah. and that suge- power of suggestion is in some ways a challenge and support. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I like that. So uh, com- coming back to our measurable targets then. So we've talked about um, the number of observations in a term. Uh, we've talked about measuring physical activity or, or learning by doing time, active learning time in, in lessons. Yeah. What else do you measure? So uh, another one was just um, keeping a rolling number of how many children attended extracurricular clubs. Um, as a school, we offer a wide range of extracurricular clubs. So be for PE, I just kept it focused on the ones that would probably come under the PE remit, so taking out things like arts and craft club. Um, but just focusing on um, sort of the PE-based clubs and actually just seeing, well, how many children go to them know who are these children um so we've kept a percent a percentage of the school role um but also then looking at the gender split um so i can like see that you know over the years that we've had typical trends but then also you know as teachers within education we've got you know access to loads of data so if we wanted to we could think about well you know are there certain ethnicities that take up different clubs and is there a group that's been completely left out and what can we do about Mm. that to try and uh, include Mm. everyone so what's the actual target you're going for is it a number or is it a percentage or how does it work yeah so um we actually looked at we had had a look at first at just about um getting to a, a number um, and for us as a single form entry, 
um, we had the number of 70 children. 70 children um, involved in an after-school club. Per term? Uh, per term. Per term, okay. And the, the yeah. clubs would change. Um, and sort of looking at how, how we... Um, so at first we started with 40. And we started with just 40 children. And then we've increased that to 70. Because... And the great thing about that was I suddenly realised that, one, a lot of the children are the same children that go to every club. So I stopped counting them twice. So if child A goes to football club and hockey club and cricket club, that only counts as one person. Yeah. So all of a sudden it made me think, well, yeah. actually, I want to target these at more children. Um, and then when we had a bit of success, it sort of made me realise, well, let's keep going with this. And the ball kept rolling and we, you know, that target went up and then we beat that target again. And, you know, it's... How have you done that? What, what have you done to get from 40 children in after school clubs to 70? Um, thinking about the range. So... You know, I sort of shared this with the staff, um, and the, you know, the head teacher was very supportive of it. Um, and I sort of said, "Well, how do we how do we increase it?" And I sort of put a plea out to the staff, saying, "You know, look, I want to increase the range of activities on offer to our children." Um, and the and then people came back to me and said, "Do you know what, Sam? Actually, I teach yoga." I was like, what? like, I didn't know that about that member of staff. And mm. they started running a yoga club, which mm. was massively, massively successful, massively popular. Um, as you can probably imagine, that type of club might attract children who maybe were not engaged in certain after-school clubs before. Yeah. So, you know, a hugely it, um, diversified our intake of children massively yeah. and yeah. just gave them something extra to think about and I remember when I first arrived here and we first looked at this of those 40 they were almost all boys if I remember yeah so how what's the split nowadays um or so what are you trying to get to I suppose it's, it's, it's difficult because there's nothing you can there's nothing I can do um I have thought about you know running girls only clubs before but then that's always difficult I have offered where we've had so so a very popular club that we run is football, um, so popular that sometimes we've thought about splitting it in between boys and girls. But then when I put the interest out to the parents, um, we don't actually have enough girls to fill a club, mm. so that club can't run. Um, sort of trying to take away, you know, I know some girls might be anxious to play with the boys, trying to take that away, um, and just run offering a girls only one, but that wasn't actually that successful because there weren't there wasn't enough uptake and the people who wanted to go to the girls who wanted to go to football club were perfectly fine going to a mixed gender football mm. club anyway mm. um it is difficult i i have always had more boys than girls yeah. um but um it has really made us think and you know you can't argue with the numbers i was just about to say that i think that what you're doing here that's a bit different is you're actually most schools might know they've got a problem with this, that girls aren't being involved in the extracurricular clubs, but they wouldn't go to the effort of counting them and then setting a target. Yeah. And that's the difference, isn't it, in what yeah. you've done. Because by counting them and then setting a target, you're starting that conversation, first of all with yourself, but then, as you say, with other members of staff, as to, look, this is what it is, looks like at the moment. And clearly that's not good enough, because if mm. we're here to provide education to all of our children, why are we giving the boys a different experience to girls? Or why are there opportunities that boys are taking that girls aren't? Mm. Um, so I think that's really, really valid. I, I had understood there was a, was it a lunchtime club, in, a gymnastics or a dance club that a lot of the girls were attending, is that right? Am I remembering yeah. correctly? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've had various um, sort of dance and gymnastic clubs, um, which were all hugely successful 
and again they brought in a huge amount of female interest which was excellent because it helped us with our targets but also it made you know made us realize that we're, we're engaging more children because the numbers went up um but for me it always keeps it you know helps me keep in mind that well if i don't have a club running like that then our numbers are going to drop um and you know we're not going to meet the target um and like you said mark it's the if somebody said well this isn't good enough at least i could say i know it's not good enough but i've got the proof to show that i'm working towards something and at least i've got a plan in place and i've got these numbers and i've got this data yes um, yes you know i'm you know, really I'm good. showing you that yeah. I'm trying to get the ball yeah. rolling. And that's yeah. the thing with the with the tick box exercise we talked about before, where you're looking at individual capability or perceived capability of particular techniques usually. Tick box for, oh, Adam can do this, Louise yeah. can't yeah. Do, do it as well. And and the point is, it's okay to collect that, but so what? What are you then doing with it, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's not just yeah. data for data's sake. It's And what you're doing here, I mean, is this a lot of work for you? Um, I wouldn't say it's a lot of work. It's just, I mean, I'm lucky in that I'm given the time as a as a subject leader, um, where I can, you know, focus on this. I know there's a lot of class teachers out there who would get, be given the responsibility of PE, who would have to do this after school, as well as their 120 books to mark and five mm-hmm. lessons to prep for tomorrow. Um, so it. You know, I can completely understand if someone was listening to this and said, well, I'd love to do that. I could start that in my school tomorrow, but it's just going to add an hour's, an hour's work onto my already overfilled schedule. But I don't know, it's a difficult one. For me, mm. I, I'm passionate about it. Um, and I can see the impact that it has for the children, mm. which at the end of the day is why we're here, to mm. improve the experience for the children. Um, yeah. So for me, it's worthwhile. I've seen the benefits. I can okay. still see what, where we are not meeting our targets, and you know that yeah. sort of drives us forward. So uh, yeah, so it's hard to explain in a podcast, isn't it? But in front of Sam and I, there's kind of a score sh- scorecard. It looks a bit like a scorecard, doesn't it? With red and mm. red and green bits on. Uh, I, I'm taking it the green bits are where you're doing well, and the red yeah. bits are, are not not quite getting the target yeah. yet. So there's one area we haven't talked about, which is. Um, so we uh, we had a look at um, how many children were actually involved in playing competitions or taking part in competitions in schools, sort of against schools, um, or just any sort of form of formal competition. And this is one that I find really difficult. Um, I think it's massively important. One from my own personal experience, I played a huge amounts of sport as a child. And actually, it's only sort of now that you sort of realise, well, that had massive impacts, positive impacts for me as a person. And I can see children who are leaving year six who haven't had that experience and how it's impacting them. Um, but it was just, um, again, just a metric of when I was taking children to competitions. And I, it was more I realised from other schools that when we went to the football competition and we played against a certain school, then we'd play them in the basketball competition and they'd have exactly the same children on the football and the basketball team. So it made me think that, well, you know, if I'm going to take these children to competitions, um, I want as many children to experience it as possible. Um, and then that, that in its own creates a problem in that if they're the best at football and the best at basketball and the best at cricket, then you should just take the same child to each. So you sort of create a rod for your own back. But... Um, it just again it keeps it in your mind if you've got a metric target you know I what, want what's the metric you got what so are you trying to we achieve? we wanted to take more than 
a variety of ten boys and seven girls, um, and that and that was difficult. Um, but it also made us, it inspired us to think. Well, because at the minute I'm, we were sort of thinking only about competitions run by the local borough, mm. but I, it then inspired me to think about. Well, does it have to be run by the local borough? And actually, I'm, I'm finding this target incredibly difficult. In the first in the first year, we didn't manage to get to any competitions because it has a huge time strain on teachers, extra adults, mm. risk assessments, all that. Um, so it made me think. Well, could we actually just meet it by playing against other local schools? Um, and it's something that I'm still thinking about today. And in fact, this week we've got a local school coming to play against us, so I can, ex- you know, give the children exposure to playing against people who they've never met before. Mm. You know, ex- that experience of winning, that experience of losing, shaking mm. hands at the end, and thinking, "Well, actually, I really enjoyed that." Mm. Um, or actually, I'm quite disappointed because I've lost, but I still, you know, that's a hugely, massively important skill that I want children to be able to relate into the classroom. You know. We're always talking to our children about being resilient in class. Um, yeah. I can't think yeah. of a better example than doing it yeah. on any sort of sports playing yeah. field. Yeah, so I suppose I'm just thinking about this. Two, one form entry school, so you've got, what, about 200 children, something yeah. similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the targets are still quite early, aren't they? If you're yeah. thinking about sort of 10 boys, 7 yeah, girls, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not it's not much the school. So some schools I know will be... Um, probably a lot luckier to have people who can organise competitions mm, for them. You've definitely. got a lot on your plate, to, as yeah. you said, not just to, to arrange it and do the risk assessment, pick a team and sort of prepare them for, for it as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess as you meet the targets, you increase them and uh, and you get more children mm. involved. Yeah. yeah. I think as well, it's just the point, it's, it's always in the back of your head. I, I, yeah. I know that we're not meeting that target, so if any opportunity comes up, it's yeah. just sort of like, oh, yeah, maybe like, I will take, take you up on that. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Um, and the final bit we looked at was enjoyment, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was actually, part of this was done before I started at uh, Winton Primary School. Um, a group called Future Zone, um, which Winton is part of, uh, conducted an, enjo- an enjoyment survey um, to see about, it was uh, done in year, I think it was in year six, I don't know, maybe all of Key Stage 2. But um, it just gave them a simple scoring chart of how much they were enjoying PE. Um, and it gave us data to collect. Um, so the more the children enjoyed it, the lower the score. Um, and so I actually had that data historically from, I think, 2014. Um, and so I just ran the same survey again in the hope that you know, after a couple of years of me, well, me being a PE leader, and we've put you know all of these actions in place. Hopefully, the children are actually enjoying PE now more than they were four years ago, um, and that in, you know yielded some interesting results. And the good thing as well was that it wasn't just me who did that. Like I said, it was a, a group called Future Zone, which involved which involves a few primary schools. So it sort of helps us look at you know our schools. I do, do schools, certain schools enjoy PE more than others um, and it also gave us interesting metrics for boys versus girls um, you know, are girls enjoying PE as much as boys? Quite often the answer was no and there's a clear number difference um, so what can we do about bringing that down? And again that links into well maybe we need to give them more clubs maybe we need to think about how, you know, how they access PE. So again it just sort of keeps it in your mind um, but again, it's, you can't argue with the numbers, um, and our, you know, the 
facts and statistics that came out of it showed that children are now enjoying PE more. It's quite remarkable, actually, if you look at those numbers, isn't it? That yeah. both for boys and girls, you've really increased the enjoyment levels. Yeah. So uh, it's worth th- us looking into that a little bit, isn't it? Because you mentioned the work you've done. What do you attribute that increase in enjoyment to? In terms, you, you've been there, what's that? That's a year, isn't it? So that's a year since... In, in the difference between the first yeah. data and the second. So, yeah. so what, what happened in that year? What do you attribute that to? Um, just trying, well, I, th- I guess it's the, there's loads of small parts to it that a lot of them we've already spoken about that, you know, if I can work with coaches and help them create a, you know, if children are doing more active learning time, they're going to enjoy, enjoy PE more. If they get taken to more competitions, they're going to enjoy PE more. If there's a wider range of clubs... That the children enjoy more, they're going to put they enjoy PE more. Um, yeah, so it, it was just you know me thinking about, and again it's just like right, well you know these children are putting that they hate PE, they're giving it the high you know the highest score. So I wonder who those children are. I wonder what's going wrong for mm. them. So again, it mm. gave me an opportunity to capture pupil voice and just say, look, I know it's you know you're not enjoying PE at all. You know, could you tell me about that? Mm. And some of them had quite trivial matters as you can imagine being chi- like with children but actually sometimes they made very valid points and they actually wanted more time on the sports they enjoyed the most mm. they wanted less time on the sports that they didn't enjoy the most mm. and it was being shared equally mm-hmm. um, a lot of primary schools are across the country capture people voice to improve their school but I don't think it's done in PE um, no, and it gave me that opportunity um, to think about well you know what can what do the children want mm. before before instead of sitting back and thinking mm. oh this is how I'm going to improve PE well mm. what do the children want to improve about PE yeah. um, okay. and just gives you that interesting sort of dynamic yeah so I think linked to that is uh, a piece of work that I know you've done because I I helped a little bit with it which is uh, a document called your PE guidelines yeah. um, so uh, we we talked quite a bit about. Uh, a couple of years ago about what we wanted or what you wanted PE to look like at your school yeah Um, and you developed a document called your PE guidelines which was kind of I think a lot of schools have this kind of thing I think sometimes it's called a PE policy and it's I've seen them in some schools where they're kind of a stapled usually small print of about five or six sides which waffle on about PE in lots of language but don't necessarily mean very much and it sits in a computer somewhere usually but we wanted a a living document that explained Mm. in clear terms to a teacher or coach this is what we expect PE to be like look like feel like Um, Mm. what kind of things did you put in there um, that you think made a difference to that enjoyment for children so as you like as you mentioned before we wanted the document to be a working document so straight away we wanted to limit the amount of words and really we said if it's going to be useful it should be one side of A4 so um, we kept it to that and we just thought about active learning time that you know if you were going to teach a P lesson we would expect a minimum and put a percentage you know and put some percentages that may you know think about if you were achieving good quality provision um, also it, it was to help if somebody came in and led PE who wasn't familiar with the school, it gave them, you know, it was pick up and go. Like they knew straight away, right, you know, this is how the transition from the class teacher to PE should be. This is how they get changed. It just had some really clear um, information for people to put it in black and white, but it didn't, you know, we didn't want it to go on and on and on. It should just be that 
any coach any you know could come in and sort of lead PE and have an idea of what we wanted um, so we created one for PE lessons um, but then we also created we thought about well, where else the children experience active learning times as we've spoken about before with after school clubs and lunch times so there's you know one side for PE lessons then there's a separate one for after school clubs um, and the biggest thing about this was all of our PE is run by sports coaches but after school clubs can be run by anyone um, and it's important that I wanted it come from, to come from anyone um, with it. so it was the nursery nurse that ran the yoga club and I think she felt empowered by the fact that she knew that what was sort of expected of her I think some people are quite worried about running after school clubs because they've never done it before they don't know what the expectations are you know they might be dealing with year six children where they're only used to teaching nursery children it's, it can be quite daunting for members of staff um, so it, it gave you just a bit of a hit list of like this is what we're looking for basic things like the timings but also you know getting changed and things like that um, but again gave them a hint that we don't want to watch children coming to after school club sitting on the floor listening we want to see them doing mm. and I think that really empowered people and think actually I'd love to give yeah. running a club a go yeah and if I remember correctly there was um, some kind of PE must look like this or must and then there was some kind of bits about when it's at its best, PE might look like this as well. And I remember yeah. things like we talked about when we were doing games, a basketball net, any kind of invasion mm. game, how big team size should be. Yeah. So I think there was something in there about team size should be maximum of four where possible, for example, yeah. just to give more people um, more of a chance to be involved in the games. Because um, again, I mean, the PE I see often in primary school, as soon as um, as soon as we get to an after school club, it's kind of, or, or even in PE actually, it's, oh, here we go. I've seen 15-a-side football in PE, yeah. for example. I, yeah. I, it's not that uncommon that um, an inexperienced teacher or coach will will go to that because they it's very simple, straightforward to organise. There's half of you, there's half of you, there's a ball if you go and play. Yeah. Um, whereas what, what you recognised in that was that children will be better if they're grouped in smaller numbers for... Um, for their own inclusion, but also it's easier to manage that difference, isn't it? Um, yeah. Between the, between the different games, um, so, and it would help, like you said, a new teacher coming in or a new coach coming in to do mm. PE knows that at Winton this is what you do. Yeah. This is this is the limitations of what you, what you can do and what you can't. This is what we expect. This is what we encourage, um, and it's therefore very easy for you to get a consistent approach to it, mm. which clearly the children have noticed because they they're telling you uh, very clearly that they enjoy it more. Definitely. And I think as well, something that I've thought about is that it sets sort of high expectations. You know, you wouldn't work in a school as a teacher with low expectations. And I think coaches really appreciate the fact that, you know, we want to have high standards for PE in our school and the children appreciate high standards um, and the coaches, you know, want to work to those high standards. And it's mm. sort of by giving them targets and sort of thinking, well, in black and white here, it says on the sheet that you shouldn't have more than five aside sort of games. Mm. And that I've just watched you teach at 11 v 11 and it's caused this behaviour problem. You know, that's because you've not followed this document. Um, I think the coaches really appreciated the fact that, mm. you know, right, I've got a clear set of guidelines. I'm, you know, I'm going to use them. Um, mm. And that, again, it helps, you know, I've heard before you sort of say, let the policy do the heavy lifting. It's the fact that if I've got that down in black and white, yeah. you, you can't argue with it. Yeah, that's right. And I, I noticed as well that um, 
all of this documentation is on your website yeah. and freely available for parents. Does it, yeah. And I know that a bit like for, for a lot of schools, PE isn't a priority, and I'm guessing yeah. for many parents it might not be either. Um, did you have any um, reaction from parents about this? Any parents sort of saying that they noticed a difference or questioning some of it? Not, not much. Um, the the biggest thing for like for the parents is actually like looking at PE kit, but not, that was something that I made sort of um, part of the guidelines that any child who hasn't come in the PE kit, you know, it'd be noted down by the coach. And again, that was in the guidelines. So the coach made that part of their regular practice. Instead of just going straight into the lesson, he'd be like, you know, sort of, well, we're not all wearing our peak. Why not? Um, and a lot of people actually really appreciated that because when it came to doing the PE, that they'd realised that they, the, ch- the children wasn't even getting changed, in, even though the parent had provided them with the kit. Um, so... Mm, that that yeah. was that was really helpful. So initiated that conversation Definitely. between what happens then the coach then reports back back to the class teacher and onto the parent yeah. that the, that the child brought the PE kit but didn't put it on. Yeah, right. I mean, obviously we wouldn't want to victimise the child. It'd just be an informal yeah. chat. And so no, we actually found out that you know yeah. quite a lot of children had the kit. They just weren't putting right, it on. Okay. Um, so then it could be just you know an easy conversation, informal conversation to have with the child. Um, but if I if I'm honest, you know the data is on the uh, website I, if I'm totally honest I don't think there's a huge amount of parent uptake but if there is that if there is that parent who is incredibly passionate or wants to know about it again yeah if I, I would say well have you read the guidelines yeah on, on it's yeah. Off, you know um, it's been incredibly transparent I think um, that's it isn't it I mean I've got two children in in primary school and if I'd love that for, I mean, obviously, I'm absolutely nuts about PE, so perhaps I'm not your stereotypical parent, but um, I would love there to be something that clearly said what PE is and does at the school. So it not, not, not necessarily so I can agree or disagree with it, just so that I understand that they've thought about it yeah. and that they thought this is what we're trying to achieve and therefore there's some kind of consistent approach because otherwise PE is just left to potluck really on what the teacher's experience at school was like a PE how much they mm-hmm. really want to do it how much effort they're going to put in um, what expertise they may or may not have in it because they're not going to have spent much time being trained in it yeah um, so this guidelines document that you're talking about if it's done in simple terms could be just just that is it's like you said it's, it's a minimum expectation so it yeah. raises the bar for everybody yeah um, but it also supports them because it says no this is what this is what we do, this is what we don't do, and here's maybe why. Mm. Um, so I think that's really useful. Definitely. Like okay. I said, it's, it's in black and white. It's all on the website. The me- the, all the measurable targets are on the website. All of the guidelines on the on the website. So if people want if people want to look it up or if people think about, well, what's not going well for my child in PE, mm. then they can read about it themselves. Mm. Um, okay, yeah. so just coming back to that then, just coming full circle, back to... Um, back to looking at the individual children, do you collect any data on individual children and how they're doing in their PE lessons? Um, It's like you said before, right at the start with the tick box activity, it's something that is incredibly difficult to collect. Um, We've thought about, you know, I've been to numerous PE meetings where we thought about, we've looked at other schools who've kept PE diaries and thought about introducing that at Winton. We've used different uh, sports coach company providers 
um, and they some of them have their own systems which I have not you know qualmed I've just said if you know keep collecting that data and obviously if Ofsted want to see it then we've got it to provide it um, we don't have anything at Winton because at the minute I personally I've not seen anything that I think is worth doing I would rather go to the sports coach or you know I would hope that I would have the knowledge but hopefully it'd be the sports coach who teaches them regularly. If I said, well, how is so-and-so doing with this skill? Mm. I'd want them to be able to you know, talk about them and tell me, tell me their, you know, what mm. they're getting on with. Just like if I said, right, you know, we've got a gymnastics lesson coming up. Who are going to be the people who stand out, who need pushing? Who are going to be the people who actually need extra support? Um, for me, it's that it's more formative assessment. We don't we don't need these tick boxes or a scoring chart. Mm. Yeah, For me, it's the, yeah. it's the skill of the coach, it's the Absolutely. knowledge of the coach. So with, within any lesson, obviously the coach's role is to support challenge as they see and as they observe and, and given their knowledge of who's in front of them anyway. So to record it, I'm just thinking, the reason why I asked that question is you're talking about parents. Um, and again, I would love to know what the, what teachers of my children are thinking about in terms of their PE development, their physical development generally. Don't get anything on that. When I, parents' evening last week, it's all about the reading and the writing and the, yeah. and the maths. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and actually, if you ask, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, we've got, we got nothing on that, really. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we haven't really done any PE, imagine. so we can't, can't really I can imagine the much. teacher's um, eyes <laughs> filling with dread when you ask that question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so... But I guess maybe par if parents aren't really interested in that, then there's no point in collecting the data just for that purpose. But yeah, I, I think I generally agree with you. I think it's, it's a case of um, why collect the data for the sake of doing it? As long as there is proper assessment for learning happening in the lessons mm -hmm. and from lesson to lesson throughout the term, then um, the coach or the teacher in charge should be um, guiding those, those children along the journey, wherever they might be anyway. Mm. And, and for me, I'm more passionate about seeing high-quality teaching and learning regularly than data, you know, collecting data. Um, if I went in to watch a PE lesson, I would I would expect to see some children who are clearly very gifted and talented, or whatever word you want to use, being stretched, and the the skill of the coach and thinking, wow, like look look what they are capable of. How can I really push them? Mm. Whereas you know there are those children who are really struggling with this task in the basic form of this task. They're still struggling with it. Mm. How am I going to scale it back even more? Um, mm that's what I would want to see from the coach and that's what mm. I hope I could help the coach with and sort of empower mm. them with Brilliant. that. Okay, um, good. So one one final little bit I wanted to talk to you about. You have mentioned um, a few times that you class teachers at Key Stage 2 here at Winton don't take PE lessons. Yeah. You have um, sports coaches who come in. Yeah. Um, and they may not be the same sports coach for very long. They, you yeah. may, they, may, they may stay a couple of terms and then they might leave and mm. you get a different one in. Um, how do you manage the quality of PE provision as a, as a subject lead, the person responsible for PE in a school, under those circumstances? Um, let's say the best question to last. This is probably <laughs> my biggest challenge. <laughs> yes. like, this yeah. is the thing that I've really struggled with because ever since I've sort of been subject leader of PE, I felt we've made huge progress with the subject and that the sort of the subject was moving forward and that we were developing these targets and I was thinking about my leadership um, and I was thinking about, right, how can I upskill these coaches so that the children feel the benefit? 
and we'd put some actions in place, the coach would roll with it, the coach would be happy with it, and then the coach would leave, get a new job. And then the process would start again. I'd feel I'd upskill the coach, I'd talk to the head teacher, think about what, how, you know, how can we improve this coach, what can we do? The coach would leave um, for various reasons. Um, but it was really, really difficult because the, the hardest part for a PE coach is that they do not have a teaching qualification in terms of they might have you know whatever qualification they have for their coaching um, they're in an environment full of people with the exact, probably the exact same expectations for the children and then all of a sudden they have a two-hour slot with the children but they don't have the same expectations um, and that can be really really difficult you know, for starters with behavior management you know, if a child, you know, if a child is really struggling with a lesson, every single teacher in the school has to follow the same policy, you know, um, and you know that's just part and parcel of being a teacher, and every teacher would know that. Um, but for a sports coach, that can be quite difficult because if they're used to just running a, a club outside of a school, they would deal with children who don't want to be there in a different way. Um, so again, that's part of my role to build build that up. But it's also it's difficult when different providers come in. You know, there was one point where we were using a company and they would send a different coach regularly. You know, it could almost be weekly that we'd have different coaches. And that was a huge issue at first. Um, our, chil- our children in particular crave consistency. Um, and when that consistency isn't there, it, when uh, things can start going pear-shaped. Um, so that has always been a massive challenge. Um, but we have, and we've always seen progress. We've always seen in the, the children enjoy PE more. We've seen the lessons being high quality. We've seen more active learning time when the coach has been at the school for a period of time. Mm-hmm. That's always happened. Yeah. Um, I'm not just, yeah, and that that's, I think just them becoming familiar with the, the practice. I think the coach enjoy having like the guidelines, and they sort of obviously it takes them a while to have a feel for the school. Yeah, and a relationship with the yeah, children. yeah, absolutely massively important part is having a relationship with the children. Um, but that has been my biggest challenge, and mm. yeah. there is no way of sort of getting over it. It takes you know put a, you put CPD into somebody, and then they leave. It's, it's a difficult yeah, thing, and it's yeah. the same in any walk of life. Not I suppose so. I'm, I imagine head teachers say the same thing about good, good, good staff, good teachers as well. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, but on a term, on a weekly basis, to have someone different is unacceptable, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the obvious solution, which I've talked to this school about before, is obviously having the class teachers deliver the PE. Yeah. Um, but given that that's not something that's on the on the yeah. table, I think you've done a mm. great job. Really yeah. good job, and um, it's really interesting listening to your how you use data. Me being an ex-statistician, I am um, thoroughly enjoy looking at the numbers and the, yeah. and the sort of scorecard that you made. Um, well, thank you very much, Sam, for your time. No, thank you. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, I hope so.